0: From beanies to carry bags, and from shoes to caps, browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Lembid you're listening to Lembid on today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
1: Good morning, Planet Earth. Lembid with you again for three hours of news and comment here on the best channel for free speech that's ever existed on the Earth. And if you know something better, you're lying. <laughs> Let me know is going to have three great guests today. We're going to start by talking about what's happening in the economy in the United Kingdom, or more precisely, what isn't happening, all kinds of problems in the UK, as It seems to me the big parties are engaged in a race to the bottom. Who can wreck the country first? Of course, they won't put it that way. Uh, There was a dramatic U-turn by the Labour Party in the United Kingdom, who have abandoned their flagship policy. They're not going to spend 28 billion pounds a year on their green fanaticism. That's what they say, this has caused outrage, but probably not with the general public. Uh, We'll be speaking with Marcus Blaise, uh, who is a financial guru to interpret what's good, what's bad, what's ugly, in terms of the economic situation in the United Kingdom, and also the prospects for the country. Uh, Whether you're in the United Kingdom or not, this is an object lesson in mismanagement. We'll be seeing if Marcus Blaise can put some sense into the insanity that I certainly feel I've been living through. Uh, We'll be moving on to perhaps a good news story uh, as far as the UK and the British Isles as a whole are concerned after that with Tim Scott. Uh, He served as a military man in the what's called Troubles in Northern Ireland. Uh, He will be analysing some quite dramatic steps forward where previously literally warring parties are coming together to try and run what's called the province. That's the North of Ireland or Northern Ireland. Even those words are loaded. We'll explain that a little bit later on. And whether this really is an example of how you do peace correctly, perhaps a far cry from what we're seeing in so many parts of the world where might is right, certainly according uh, to the West. Uh, Then we move on to Oliver Nelkin. He's one of the most interesting film directors I know. Uh, He is a sort of voice for Gen Z. Uh, We had one of them on last week as well. But he'll be talking about something of personal and vested interest to him why is the old-fashioned media why is the legacy media beginning to die it's been predicted that the kind of thing that you just press a button and watch on telly is all but dead already just momentum keeping it forward is this true is this wistful thinking by those who are tired of the establishment paying for state-sponsored television so that you get what they want you to think. You'll be with me as well. All of that coming up uh, with me uh, on today's news talk, that's TNT. Uh, before that, let me just share a couple of thoughts that I've observed, uh, neither of them particularly good news. Uh, on a local basis in the United Kingdom, one of the most idiotic and self-serving organisations I've ever had the misfortune to work with, that's Sustrans, has said that pavement parking is a big no-no. What does that mean? Well, Sustrans is one of the most intense pro-cycling lobbies And I have to say, one of the most successful ones uh, the UK has ever seen. They employ hundreds of people uh, to encourage and control politicians to convince us that in a first world country, we go to a third world means of transport, namely cycling. Well, they're now saying that it's wrong for those of us who drive to put two wheels on a pavement. They say it causes obstruction. They had some poll which says 73% of disabled people agree. You know what really annoys me when I walk around? when a stupid cyclist cuts me up on the pavement and then swears at me as they go past. Worse than that, there's a crime wave, once again involving powered cycle cycles, that's electric bicycles, I was robbed like that last year. Why doesn't Sustrans have a strategy to clamp down, perhaps have zero tolerance of the hundreds of thousands of cyclists who don't give a damn about the consequences to the disabled and the infirm and women with children and the rest of us who are on pavements and don't really take kindly to the blatant law-breaking by these cyclists. Cyclists who go through red lights because they think they have a sense of entitlement. Cyclists who cut you up and then think that you're to blame. Cyclists who wipe themselves out by cutting up the inside of a great big lorry and then sadly getting killed. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, Sustrans is an object lesson in wokeism and self-serving interest by those who think that they're above the law. They think that because they've got two wheels and they don't emit carbon dioxide from an exhaust, but they do from their mouths, we all generate carbon dioxide, uh, that they can tell us what to think. Ladies and gentlemen, no great nation has been built on pedal power alone. The fossil fuel revolution really is what gave us the standard of living that many of us enjoy, and many more aspire to. So my advice to the South France, just shut up. Or shut up. Let us park on the pavement because some roads are very narrow, and get off the pavement yourselves. Welcome your views on that. Just the other one, I'll come back to this in a little bit more detail later on in the show. What's happened to Joe Biden? In the most remarkable own goal I've seen in months from him, he held a press conference. to say that his memory was fine. Then he mixed up the Premier of Mexico and Egypt, they're not even close. He couldn't remember uh, the death of his son. Uh, and he wasn't really completely clear about a whole bunch of other stuff when it comes to Afghanistan. Joe Biden is an object lesson than what happens when you're a nice, elderly gentleman, but perhaps you should have retired. If he was a head teacher in a school, he'd have already been given the golden clock. And yet he's got his finger on the largest nuclear arsenal in the planet. I'm not sure that's a great combination, unless of course, he forgets what the numbers are. In that case, it could be peace in our time. Joe Biden is a gift that keeps on giving. I still suspect he's going to be the Democratic presidential candidate this year. Roll on Donald Trump like to know what you think about all of that go to today's news talk that's tntradio.life and you will find not just the phone numbers to call into the, the on into the show but also you'll find a chat which is continuously vibrant and lively all the way through i don't have the time to read everything out that goes in there and often it takes a divergent course a different chat uh, but you'll get the most out of the show if you go there too just go and tune into that on the website and have your say i'd like to hear what you have to think maybe you disagree maybe you're an avid cyclist maybe you think I'm being unfair maybe you think that no one should park on the pavement well that's your say that's your right and that's your opportunity go to today's news talk talks website that's tntradio.live i'd love to hear from you all of that with me lampetopic in these 3 hours right here on tnt the facts no spin or agenda Not enough with the lies we need the facts this is today's news talk radio tnt Well, uh, you're already quite lively. Uh, A couple of people are asking what the problem is with banning pavement parking. Let me explain that to you. I'll just take a little divergent course here. Uh, Pavement parking is when a car goes onto a pavement, two wheels on the pavement, two wheels off. And then the argument from groups like Sustrans is, if you don't have the opportunity uh, to go past as a pedestrian or perhaps as a cyclist, maybe that's why they don't really like it, then uh, you are causing untoward problems for the general public, the innocent, virtuous, virtue signaling general public in some cases, who cycle on the pavements, who walk down the pavements, who perhaps are taking their dog out, their children to school. And thus we demonize road users who park on the pavement. Well, let me put an alternative view to that. Here's the issue. If you are on a very narrow street, let's say you live on one, then there's a very good chance that actually what we're observing here is a kind of um, pragmatism, where the local community knows that if you don't park on the pavement, you can't get past the uh, other cars you create a massive, great, big holdup in the middle of the street where no one can go through. That's not just bad for um, uh, the uh, for the locality. It's absolutely terrible for pedestrians as well, because you get a logjam with angry drivers shouting at each other and, and everything else. Let me make it really simple. The roads of Britain were not put together with the anticipation or many of them but without the, with the anticipation that great big vehicles cars would be invented thousands tens of thousands of streets were invented in the days of the horse and the days of just walking then the industrial revolution and the brilliant work of one gottlieb daimler led us to mass scale transportation it still took about 70 years 80 years before before it was anywhere like in mainstream circulation and we have uh i would say the great uh, Ford, uh, to thank for a lot of that. Uh, I wonder if uh, we'd be in anything like the same quality of live- living if those people never invented the internal combustion engine. That's a conversation for another time. The long and the short of it is, two cars couldn't pass where two horses could. And in reality, in many streets, including where I live in a fairly rural area, the streets are so narrow uh, that we have a an impasse. You either park there or you don't park at all. You park there with your wheels on the pavement, you don't park at all. So communities, they norm, they conform to local convenience. And then you get wheels on, uh, on one side of the car, the other wheels on the road. No one's complaining. It's been like this for decades, perhaps over a century, apart from now, the cycling community. Now, I understand that for people with disabilities, and my mum was in a wheelchair in the last years of her life, you have to have the space to get past. But surely it's not beyond the uh, wit of the human race, uh, and particularly drivers who are reasonably savvy in these things, reasonably experienced, to leave enough space for people to pass. When my child goes to school, if you don't put your wheels on the pavement, no one can get past. But if you put your wheels on the pavement sensibly, then everyone can use the roads as they need to. The difficulty we now have is that with the woke signaling nonsense, so unfortunately we live with, and which gives people permission to apparently punish the uh, the road driver, who incidentally spends about 37,000 million pounds a year in tax. Uh, it's not enough. Uh, the cyclists who are happy to break the law themselves think that uh, they want to come after after those people parking. Now, my mother, I've mentioned this before on the show, if she hadn't been able to drive her car, then she would have been not just disabled, but also imprisoned in her house. She could walk maybe 50 metres, not further. And as far as I'm concerned, she had the right to park where she needed to park. She was never unreasonable. She was never selfish, but she just had to look after herself. She spent the last years of her life living alone. The cyclists don't care. By and large, as far as I can tell, they tend to be... Uh, mid-twenties, mid-thirties, male, lycra-wearing fanatics. I don't use that word very often, fanatics. And as a result, they think that they can rule the road uh, all in the name of some misplaced belief that they're saving the planet, and more than anything, that they've got superiority over us. I don't agree. This country will not be serving the millions and millions of disabled people who have to drive because they can't walk like my mum if you make parking so difficult and loads and loads of streets will become impossible or as i think they as i suspect they want uh, those loads of streets will be those where you can't own a car if you live there well done we've seen right through you here's my advice to those who think that this is a reasonable process forget it accept that the status quo has organically evolved to a stage where we have, well, uh, a comfortable truce between most reasonable pedestrians, and most reasonable drivers There are always going to be a few unreasonable people, none more so in my view than in the cycling community. But if somebody has parked their car a little bit too close to the pavement, you're going to knock on the door, they'll always move it. And more than anything, if you've been living in a house for 10 or 15 years, and you've always done that, who are people sitting in non-governmental organizations preaching the merits of pedal power to those who haven't even got the strength to walk any distance about how they park their car. I hate it. I really dislike what's going on there. Uh, Well, you might have a different view. If you are a cyclist, I'll treat you with respect, but I'll push back on you if you do call. But let's have that conversation. That's what today's news talk is all about. It's about having a dialogue as opposed to simply creating an echo chamber where you only hear one side of the story. So have your say. And if you do call up as a cyclist, I want to ask you what your plan will be to stop cyclists on the pavement. Do you think the cyclists have number plates? As I think they should, so that when these cyclists do break the law, they face the force of the law and they get fined like any other road user. And perhaps the cyclists should also be paying a proportion of tax for all these uh, all these cycle lanes for example and everything else that goes with it now uh in a moment i'm going to uh, go to a break before we do let's go to save uh save in australia good evening to you sir how are you doing
2: uh look i'm i'm not too bad i'm looking forward to all the sport that's coming up i'm looking forward to the football i'm looking forward to six nations i'm still a bit miffed about why the blue card is being talked about but frankly i think that'll kind of die death uh i hope it does 'Cause that's a stupid idea if you want to turn if you want to turn the round ball game into rugby unit, you know, why not just mic everybody up? Mic up the V A R, mic up the, the refs, mic up the man gee, they'll be just in conversations to get during ninety minutes. <laughs> dear oh dear. So yes, yeah, so I'm looking <laughs> oh. forward to all that. Just a,
1: just a question then. Um just yeah. explain to those who aren't that interested in sport what a blue card means. And oh, and right. a, a so, proposed so what blue what card means trying, in football. Sorry.
2: I should have explained that. So, basically, in the game of uh, football, they have uh, they have the, the, the cards. I think it's... Uh, so, the red is what they basically send them off and the yellow is... It's, it's basically a warning card if there's some kind of discretion. I hope I got that half right. And then the idea of the blue card apparently is to deal with the... Uh, what's called dissent. That is arguing with the referee. Uh, so, they're not taking them off the field, but they're not... Um, and they're going to give them some kind. Of, they have some kind of sin bin, apparently. I don't quite understand hmm. the the whole thing with that. But uh, I think that's about as good as I can explain it because I love my sport, but I don't fully understand all of it. If you get the drift, but, uh, uh, <laughs> I hope I'm actually going to explain it well.
1: <laughs> I'm actually going to ask you, unusually, going to ask you to hold because I need to go to a break. But I want to yes. just ask you. Uh, I know this isn't what I was planning to talk about, but. and and apologies to those around the world who aren't interested in this, but Six Nations, you mentioned Six Nations, the one sporting activity I always watch every year. Uh, I want to talk to you about that as well. So, Siv, if you can hold the line for a moment, uh, I want to talk to you about the blue card and also the Six Nations. And the question I'm going to ask you is, why would anyone in Australia care about European football, but European rugby? <laughs> so don't write in. I know it's rugby. It's not football. I'm just excited oh, because Siv's raised, one of my favourite sports subjects. Stay with me, Siv. Um, uh, we're going to go back to Siv in just a minute and bear with me if you don't like sport. We're going to get onto the other stuff as well in just a minute. You're listening to on uh on TNT. Uh, I'll see you in a moment. TNT's Abby Roberts. So this is the headline in the Guardian: "Pleasure of sex is a gift from
3: God, but avoid porn," Pope advises. What is it with religious people and sex? Well, isn't there anything else that's 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 more important to worry about? And this is what uh, this is what Pope Francis uh, say. I'm going to I'm going to read in an Italian accent just to be even more offensive. Sexual pleasure is a gift from God. But Catholics must avoid pornography, Pope Francis has said. The pontiff, oh, I'll tell
0: you
1: what though, he was all for giving people lots of pricks during 2021.
2: Bloody hell, mRNA's fine, but just not porn.
0: Abby Roberts on TNT.
3: Right now, the forgotten poor are waiting for healing and care. For life-saving medical care, for a chance to live with dignity and hope. They are waiting for Mercy Ships and you. Mercy Ships is the largest floating civilian hospital in the world with volunteer medical staff and crew who donate their time to save lives. And now, as our newest state-of-the-art hospital ship sets sail, Mercy Ships will double our ability to reach children and adults who need us now.
1: Without the work of Mercy Ships, these patients don't have another option.
3: Mercy Ships is answering the call to serve suffering people who have nowhere else to turn. Together, we are going to some of the world's most desperate places and bringing a wave of hope and healing to those who need it most. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about this wave of hope, go to mercyships.org today.
4: Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. At first, like so many other women out there, I ignored my symptoms. A slight pressure on my chest, shortness of breath. I thought, I don't have time to be sick. I had a a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. I'm so grateful to the American Heart Association. Their research helped save my life. I can enjoy life with my children, my grandchildren, and my friends. Please, listen to your heart. The only reason I'm here today is because I did. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. From weather
3: and traffic reports,
2: to news of political developments.
1: We turn to journalists for the
5: information we need to live our daily lives. Journalists around the world provide
4: news that is essential for democracy, for personal freedom, and for safety and stability. Yet their ability to report freely and safely is under attack like never before.
5: Too many journalists are
1: paying with their lives. They faced
0: exponential
2: risks, and they've already paid a heavy toll.
4: Death threats, online harassment, and physical attacks are becoming a daily experience of journalists in all countries.
3: We just want people to be safe to be able to get our readers the information that they need to make informed decisions. They checked my phone and realized that it was Pegasus. I feel myself like I'm naked at the street.
0: These charges were politicized from the start.
3: Facts win. Truth
4: wins. Justice wins.
1: Stand with the free press. Stand with journalists whose reporting won't be silenced. Press freedom. Is your freedom?
0: Are we on the
3: air? Am I on the air? You're on
5: the air. On the air 24-7, your news talk giant, ENT.
1: Uh, people of Earth, welcome back to today's News Talk. TNT with me, Lemberd as we look at the stories of the day. Three hours of news and comment where we dig deep and get the views of our guests and of yourselves too. We'll go back to Siv in just a minute. Uh, and I hope that you'll indulge me in talking about a subject I don't normally raise, which is sport, but it's great value. And I want to reveal to you a great jewel in the crown of British sport, one thing that we do well. Before that, i raised the spectre of cycling. Didn't know what I get back. Let me read some of the comments coming in uh, on our site. Do join us uh, whenever you can. Uh, You'll find us on TNTradio.live. I was saying that I'm not too happy with the cycling sanctimony that we get in the United Kingdom, uh, that they don't want us to park two wheels on the pavement. Uh, on our cars just to keep the, the main thoroughfare free. But they can cycle anywhere they want, go through red lights and cycle up the pavement, knocking down old ladies. Uh, James uh, uh, Williams, uh, GB56 says, one thing about parking on pavement with normal curbs is that the weight of vans, etc. can cause damage to the pavement. Cracked pavements is a potential hazard. James, that is a fair point. And I've noticed that myself. When I was a Member of Parliament, one of the three main things people complained about was road damage and to a lesser extent, p- uh, uh, pavement damage. But I do accept that point. There is a rockin' and a hard place though. If you are delivering something, perhaps a wheelchair or perhaps a medical aid to a house with a disabled person and it's a narrow road, maybe you have no op- option. I accept that a lot of other delivery takes place as well these days, but I still think that's a price worth paying. When road users pay 37,000 million pounds a year in tax, there should be enough to keep the roads going as well and, and keep them in good order, but feel free to respond to that. Lisa says, I'm a very responsible cyclist, I will have you know. Lisa, I wasn't saying you're irresponsible. I've actually got an electric bike myself. I love it in the summer, but I don't tend to cycle on the pavement, and I certainly don't preach to drivers uh, if they're just driving a little bit too close to me. Uh, they're paying for my roads. And so when I'm a cyclist, I feel ungrateful. I'm freeloading uh, on myself, actually, because obviously I'm a driver too. Um, uh, hidden in Plain Sight says, uh, uh, oh, actually, no, I'm not going to read that. Uh, you'll have to read that yourself. It's not because it's offensive, it's just complicated. So Hidden, I'm not being rude. It's just you need to look at the thread to understand that. Mogden says, the strange thing is most cyclists are car drivers. That's right, Mobden. But they seem to stop remembering that when they're cyclists because they start swearing, or perhaps those cyclists, those self-seeking cyclists, uh, pretend that they don't have a car. In rather the same way that you hear green f- fanaticists, people like uh, Greta Thunberg, telling us that we have to create no carbon dioxide at all, but are perfectly willing to get in a plane and fly around the world to tell us that themselves. One rule for one. One rule for them. This is so all well in. We've returned to this many times and we'll return to that again. Uh, and incidentally, the fact that they do have cars indicates that you can't build an economy on pedal power and pedestrian power alone. Most people, not everyone, but most people do depend on some kind of private transport, which has a motor. And what is the point of 100,000 years of evolution if we're not allowed to reap the benefits of our technical prowess? It's a little short of a miracle, in my view, the world that we've created, faults and all, but by and large, we live in a society where the richest few hundred million are a role model for the less wealthy, who don't want to drag the richest ones down, but want to reach the same level. That's my opinion. Uh, Keep those comments coming on that one. Uh, There's a lot of talk, Mally Bites and You, that you've got this other thread going on, which I'm not reading, not because it's offensive, it's just rather cryptic uh for those if i read uh, some of that hidden watch your language uh <laughs> malibites are doing better than that uh, um and james is pointing out that everyone is also a pedestrian that's right mogdon adds so electric cars will uh will ruin them completely uh that's the pavements uh that's because electric cars are very heavy the point about road damage This is a point which isn't often made by the Green Lobby. Uh, An electric vehicle is something like 30 to 50% more heavy than its petrol or diesel equivalent, uh, just because of all the batteries, which means necessarily it does more road damage. But what happens in the United Kingdom and in other parts of the world? Well, lo and behold, they pay lower road tax, not higher road tax, complete contradiction. This is the kind of crazy world we are in uh, at the moment where you can wreck the roads, you can wreck the environment, if you say you're trying to save it. (laughs) I have another issue about electric vehicles. I think that they're a real fire hazard. I think that uh, a major car park in a major British airport called Luton Airport was incinerated because of electric vehicles. Now, uh, initially, it was stated that the fire began because of electric vehicles. And then they said, No, no, it wasn't that. But there's no doubt at all that the electric vehicles which you can't extinguish once they start burning, uh, caused the incredibly intense temperatures that have caused that uh, particular car park to need to be demolished. Now, there's a lot more going on there. I'm going to pull out of that now because I've got a very patient Siv waiting. Do keep your calls and comments coming. I'll try and get back to your comments there. Uh, boy, you are lively today. Uh, Hidden says point taken, Lembert. Good. Watch and learn, my friend. Watch and learn. Siv, thanks for your patience. You've just been in 10 minutes in, Ben. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, we, we were talking about that. I, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, it's 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 it is a, a ridiculous idea. Just to explain briefly why we care about, um, I guess, European football. I think some of that. My explanation for it is, I think, some of it goes back to the days of before the internet, when we had migrants from, you know, Italy and Spain and all the places, and even England. Dare I say it? Uh, who, who came out here and and they. You know, they 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 would uh, bring that game out here and uh, bring the uh, football out here. That's the round ball version out here with all our other sports that we have here, and uh, and they would also, when uh, technology obviously evolved, they'd actually watch all that all those sports overnight. Some of them would actually stay up because, of course, you know, given the hemispheres, um, we we have to stay up to actually enjoy all the goodness of the Premier League and the Championship and all of that. So. Um, I guess it's kind of the shorthand version of of why a lot of us still kind of care about it, even though we've got the internet and we can catch up with that stuff these days. Some of us migrated pre-internet and some of us actually brought the game and and, and the love for it to Australia, pre-the internet, and we still like it today. Is that 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 comprehensive for you?
1: that's uh, absolutely I, I wouldn't you're you're the customer. How could I dare to disagree with you, Siv? Um a couple <laughs> of points from what you said though. Um yes. uh, Tiny need of sarcasm on my point, part, I admit. A um, couple of things. I know this isn't a sports channel, but do do bear with us. Yeah, if you I don't know. like sport, don't go anywhere, folks. I just want to get no, through a couple of points. We'll get
2: back, a back to the politics, to a in, the we'll the politics
1: a in just a minute. But that's the wonderful thing about live uh, television. You can actually, as long as you have the courage of your narrative, you can go other places and get back to the main path as well. That is how I love exploring forests uh, when I'm off yeah. the beaten path. To- two things that in terms of the blue card, which is this idea of having a 10 minute sin bin instead of a yellow card, which is oy oy, and uh, a red card, which means get off now. Uh, you've got this 10 minute thing said, now go and calm down and think about it and come back on. Uh, this is as just about every football commentator today, uh, football manager today on the television in Britain has said, this is just slowing down the game. And uh, everybody else is trying to speed up games at the moment. So, right. uh, even Ange, uh, even
2: great the great Ange said that. Even the great Ange yeah. from Tottenham, he said that. <laughs> I've got a political question for you, then I'll go. Um, the question is this. Okay. So the, the general election is coming up soon over there in the UK. So, you know, uh, the government has yeah. to announce it. I think it's before November, if I'm correct. Um, they have to announce it soon anyway. So you've got two major parties, you've got reform, you've got all these other small parties. If, say, the Labor Party get into power and we have previous experience of what they've been like with borders and immigration in the past, what is the guarantee that they aren't going to drop the open borders part of their narrative that they'd have to give to more the more extreme types within their ranks and they're actually going to sort out all of those issues, because you've got you've got Europe not far away from you, and you've got you know you've got people coming into the country like there is no tomorrow, and a bigger problem than we ever had. So how how do you think Labor Labor would actually deal with something like immigration, for instance, even though they've got you know what policies?
1: you know what, Steve? It's almost like you work for today's News Talk Life because the guest that I'm just about to go to is here to talk about that very thing. So, Siv, I'll I'll give you my answer, which is, uh, but I'm interested to know what our our next guest, who is an absolute chapter and verse on this one, he knows all about it. My view is that uh, immigration is the great massive elephant in the room for the two larger parties, Conservative and Labour, because neither of them, have had a clue how to deal with it in the last twenty five years. And it's caused essentially Brexit, I think. Uh, because you you can spend months and thousands of pounds trying to get a visa to come into the United Kingdom to work, or you can just get in a boat, land in Dover, and work for cash. <laughs> Nobody yeah. seems to have solved the problem.
2: And you can smuggle yourself if you if you're really creative, you can smuggle yourself um, through one of the European drivers who'd be willing to take you through and, and, mm. and they They would do it. Unfortunately, that smoking yourself uh, in the back of a truck, that comes with its own dangers. And you've had a lot of stories about that in the past. But look, I'm going to go and actually listen to what your guest says because I'd be very interested to hear hear what he's got to say. And I look forward to driving you nuts. And all you people who didn't like sports, you can tune in now. Good to talk to you, Lambert.
1: So we'll talk about Six Nations next time. That's Siv in Australia. Anybody who wants to call in, you're welcome to do so. Thanks, Siv. Uh, very much enjoy his uh, company uh, as I get every week. Uh, hopefully you can join me uh, every week as well on Saturdays, that's uh, from 10am till 1pm uh, Greenwich Mean Time, and obviously 10 to 12 hours later, in, uh, 9 to 12 hours later in Australia. And then on Sundays, 0900 to midday. Uh, Greenwich Mean Time. Joining me now on that very subject is Reverend Kai Dewar, who's uh, active in UK Independence Party. Uh, Kai, good to see you. How are you doing?
0: A very good morning to you. I, I think you should introduce me as Johnny Cash this morning. I am the man in black. <laughs> <laughs> you, do, ah!
1: you Boy, you look trendy. Uh, uh, it's so depressing. I work so Listen, hard on uh, my have
0: looked trendy for centuries because we're always in black.
1: <laughs> it's interesting that we'll go into the, the question of migration a minute why is it that religion you're a reverend why do reverence wear black surely you should be wearing white or some celebratory color giving us a clue of the great magnificence of the world to follow
0: uh, okay the answer to that's real simple the black of cassocks and clerical collars and the black suit is just a, an outward symbol of the fact that we are always in mourning and it's a morning of the life that we are surrendered to live being the life of Christ. And then, of course, over that we wear white robes, which represents the garment of salvation. And I have various other robes as a bishop with different colors that all have different meanings for different periods of the liturgical year and different functions. And all, uh, But every color has a symbolism and a meaning associated with Scripture.
1: Don't bring your misery to my show, Kai. This is a happy place. Oh, I couldn't
0: be miserable <laughs> if I tried.
1: <laughs> so, so let's um, let's talk about uh, the uh, subject which uh, you're here for today. And, Siv, without knowing, I wanted to discuss this with you. Raised migration. We've got a general election coming up. You're in the UK Independence Party, which, as I've said before, is arguably the most successful party in the history of British politics. Uh, with with now offshoots Brexit. Party um, uh, reform, all of it directly connected to the UK Independence Party. Uh, uh, Siv wonders how this circle is going to be squared. And I think that it can't be by the big parties. I suspect the reason that reform and UKIP and so forth are doing so well are precisely because neither Labour nor Conservatives in the United Kingdom, and actually many other uh, parties around the world, are failing to tackle immigration because of a a combination of wokeness and simple lack of political nows. But what's your view?
0: Well, I I, I don't differentiate between Labour and Conservative anymore. Since Blair's election in 97, we've had several changes in party, uh, but we certainly haven't had a change in policy concerning government, and immigration was one of the big issues uh, that has been introduced during the Blair era, the the relaxation of certain immigration laws and the allowance of uh, the number of, at that time, legal immigrants that were uh, um, allowed to come in because of um, further association with the European Union. Um, and that hasn't stemmed since Brexit. In fact, the Tories promised it was one of the key things that they were going to um, get done. I was looking at Twitter just or X. I keep forgetting it's called X now. Um, mm-hmm. The other day, and I was looking at Home Secretary George Cleverly talking about we have a great plan to fix immigration, and everything in me just wanted to go. <laughs>
5: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I'm not allowed to say that. I'm on the radio. Am I? No. Uh, and, and you're you, a man of the club. You don't clock. have a plan. An example. Well, you know. Listen, I, I I call it like it is, you know, if it looks like it and it smells like it, I can guarantee you it pretty much <laughs> is it. Right. But the one thing that I was I was sitting here in my office laughing to myself about was this. Everybody keeps talking about a plan. We got a plan to fix immigration. I don't give a tinker's cuss about a plan. I want to see some action. And that's what it boils down to. Everybody's got a plan. Nobody has, has the, uh, now I have to be polite now, on it Has the testicular fortitude to put their plan into action and actually do something. I upset uh, a European politician the other day when they were talking about, um, uh, you know, immigration and the, the, um, the boats crossing the channel. And I said, this is a terrible thing for me to say as a man of cloth. You only need to sink two or three. They'll stop coming. You only need That's to turn them around to where they came from. Look what Australia did with their policy. If we catch you in open waters, we won't bring you to our shores. We take you back to where you came from. The moment we start doing that, these boats will suddenly think, but what we have is this this policy of bringing them here, housing them, clothing them, feeding them, and I am not against genuine charity. Everybody's listening there probably thinking, what a hateful man as a man of the cloth. No, charity begins at home. And whilst we need to fix the immigration problem, I have major issues with the fact that we have a government in power and a potential government coming to power that are not addressing issues like homelessness, child poverty, the, the 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 wealth disparity across the masses, the the massive cost of living increases for people in Britain. And here, and I'm I'm dealing with a couple of situations at the moment as a man of cloth. Here I have situations that I'm I'm looking into where people that have just arrived in the u k on a boat crossing the channel illegally are getting tens and tens of thousands of pounds in help and somebody that's paid taxes all of their life retired can't afford to live anymore can't afford to pay their bills eighty six years of age in the on the 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 cusp of full-blown dementia sitting in the cold in the winter with no heating can't afford to eat properly because her pension just doesn't cover everything and the government is doing nothing about that so hold, yes hold I that think.
2: thought
1: it, okay. okay i'll come back to you in just a minute uh Kai, i'm going to after the break i'm going to have to read you a mountain of commentary largely positive about you and oh i thought i'd chat. set
0: him off again already
1: <laughs> oh it's it, you have but in a good way uh and Here's a clue. It's not unusual, right? You're listening to Reverend Guy are with me, Lembidopic, on The Lembidopic Show uh, right here on today's News Talk. Don't go anywhere. I'll see you in a minute. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. By now, you probably heard all about the Two police
5: officers in New York City's Times Square that were beaten by a gang of illegal thugs. Four of them were arrested and released on bail and they're now headed to California and they're probably there by the border of Mexico already. But there's more to this, stuff we haven't heard yet until now. There is this one percenter, you know, criminal element that looks at a different opportunity here. These individuals, I went over their rap sheets yesterday, multiple charges, grand larceny, robbery, attempted robbery, grand larceny, grand larceny. Uh, This particular crew operated on mopeds and scooters. They were doing organized retail theft. They were doing snatches on the street, iPhones, iPads, clothing, so on and so forth. Uh, One of them that they are still seeking has 10 charges on one day because he's part of a pattern that's been going on. That's CNN's John Miller. He's a former NYPD deputy commissioner, and he wasn't finished. I'm looking at the dates that their arrest started, which is probably close to when they got here. They've only been here a couple of months. So what the detectives are telling me is they have crews here that operate in New York, do all their stealing, then go to Florida to spend the money and then come back. And I'm like, well, why don't they just stay and steal in Florida? And they said, because there you go to jail. Oh. Great report. Keep us back on this. The silence of the CNN Anchors says it all. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Ballsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on TNT.
4: The Kids Cancer Project funds vital research into childhood cancers. And you fund the Kids Cancer Project. Funding research means giving children back their lives. And who knows what kids with cancer could grow up to do. The Kids Cancer Project. Survival starts with science. Donate now.
3: The Kids Cancer Project.
0: You're with Lembert OPEC on today's News
1: Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back, one and all, wherever you are in the world, Australia, good evening to you. I hope you're having a very good Saturday evening. Good morning, if you're in the United Kingdom and in America, thanks for being up so late. Wherever you are, do get involved in the chat. You'll go to the TNTradio.live site. You'll find the phone numbers from all around the world so that you can call in, as Siv did earlier on, Sid wanted to talk about sport. I indulged him, he's a great regular, but you can talk about anything you like. And you can also get involved in the chat. And the chat I shall share in just a minute, because we seem to have a bit of a minor celebrity with us, maybe a major celebrity at the moment. Um, We're talking about migration and why does immigration seem to be such a big problem uh, in so many countries for the politicians? Surely it's a simple thing to do. Perhaps Australia is a role model for everybody else. Sure, you've got a great big coast and tons of ocean, But so is Britain and somehow we don't seem to do it right. Kai, let me read you some messages here from the moment you came on. Holly says, ah, the man with the lovely voice. Let me carry on. Lisa says, oh, it's the mister with the voice. What is it about (laughs) you, Kai? What Um, is it about um, the voice? Red, Red, Red actually says uh, on the politics, then we'll get back to the flattery. The elephant in the room is that the hundred times the number of illegal immigrants uh, entering completely illegally and then bringing dependent family members later. We'll come back to that in a minute. uh Lisa says, LOL, we were, <laughs> That's in Lemonopic Live, I suppose. Uh, we were <laughs> on about him doing a sing song last time, Holly. Mm, yes, Holly again. Well, he definitely has the voice, doesn't he, Lisa? uh and sam dangerfield says he must be well still in thomas richard burton etc he could get a job doing voiceovers easy it goes oh at least he does eat your heart out tom jones oh
0: yeah all right tom
1: jones yeah okay well it's not unusual as i say um so let's go back to the the politics of it you've obviously got a career as a singer um reform uk are profiting in the polls purely by default mr tice richard tice the head of reform is a very poor communicator and struggles convinced with any policy he puts forward now here's the point um oh, one more uh, annie h says it's easy for right-leaning parties to talk immigration et cetera. what about bodily autonomy. Unless this is top in policy, it smells of uh, World Economic Forum stooges um, uh, like Tice. Now, here's the thing, Uh, putting that together, leaving aside from the the fact that you've probably got a great uh, future on Britain's Got Talent or something. (laughs) um, uh, There's a frustration here that uh, people talk migration, but they don't do anything about it. Now you said that you would want to see action. If you were the foreign secretary, what would you actually do?
0: Well the first thing i would do is put a, a bill before parliament so that we actually have laws concerning the waters around great britain at the moment we don't this is why we have this policy of whatever boat is captured uh, in the waters or rescued in the waters is brought back to our shores we don't uh, we don't have the right laws in place and we've we're majoring on the miners, minoring on the majors in in terms of fixing this problem what we have to do is if I was home secretary, is take action. My uh, uh, my policy towards bringing um, uh, Navy ships into the channel or the surrounding waters would not be catch and release on the shores of Dover. It's catch and return like Australia did. I think that is a fantastic policy. We're not putting enough in place for deterring this influx of illegal immigration. Let me make something real clear. I'm not anti immigration. I am very much anti-illegal immigration. I believe in controlled and skilled labor force coming in. I believe in a points-based system like Australia has, which all credit to Australia as a nation has set a benchmark that a lot of international governments should be following in terms of, of immigration policy and controlled immigration. No country can have an unstemmed flow of illegal and legal immigrants coming to the country without it having major economic impact. And especially when it comes to the provision of services and the the care of citizens already living in that country. So we have to do... We have to do a lot more as Home Secretary. First thing I'm doing is putting ships in the English Channel. Next thing I'm doing is getting a bill before Parliament to at least press to get it passed, and looking at how we can reform at, at the interpretation of immigration policy without the need for going to Parliament with with additional laws. And go, and the one thing I would be pushing for is this this um this uh, depopulization of the Supreme Court, which has, to me, just become the vessel that Blair always wanted it to be, where it is politicized and has openly ruled against the uh, the government on multiple occasions. I do not believe any superior court should rule in a case of any sort where it puts the, the interest of third parties above the national interest which it has done so many times. So I would make sweeping changes, but from day one, as Home Secretary, and certainly if I was ever Prime Minister of the UK, um, that would be the first, you know, Michael Gambon was the singing detective, perhaps Dewar could be the singing Prime Minister. Um, The first thing I would do is make sure that we we don't just talk a good game now. I'm sick of all the talk, Uh, uh, even with the likes of the the Tices emerging and and other politicians emerging in this era that are capitalizing on this massive failure from conservative and labor benches, the one thing I, I want to see is, I believe in action. This, You know, w- we look at actions speak louder than words. Even the scriptures tell me, be not a hearer of the word, but a doer also. So be not a hearer of the law, but actually enact it. Actually do the thing that we, we're supposed to do. And I'm sorry, but, you know, a lot of people would be upset by this. It is genuinely my belief that if you break the law the law should not protect you from the consequences. Mm. And no. over and over and over, we see human rights law, human rights law, human rights mm. law used to protect people from the consequences of the illegal actions they've taken. And I will throw this in as a little caveat because, you know, I'm a preacher, I've got a microphone, I'm going to talk all day. <laughs> the fact that we now have evidence of the Archbishop of Canterbury leading a Church of England that are openly, openly assisting illegal immigrants beat the system. As a clergyman, I am absolutely disgusted at this because now you have, don't tell me that the Anglican Church is not politicized anymore because it's so blatantly obvious. The national interest for me is the people of this country the citizens that were born and bred and those that have legally come here and actively contributed to the country. I know so many legal immigrants that have come and have made an active contribution to society, are bettering themselves, making their communities better. That's what I want to see. And I, I think we need to stop this, this flow of all of the policies that favor those that come illegally, that get thousands and thousands of pounds in benefits, when I know people that can't even afford to feed themselves, that have worked 50, 60 years of their life. Now
1: then, uh, first of all, very eloquently put, uh, let me add to you something that Holly says. I'm in leafy Surrey, and I see young men of a different culture, shall we say, walking around the town and in the villages in increasing numbers. Now, you're not really allowed to say that if you're in the Labour Party or the Conservative Party, because you're accused of being racist. And here, in in my view, lies the problem, Kai. What you've said is an eloquent and honest exposition of people's right to expect and aspire to certain culture. Let's face it, every country does it. But we seem to be stuck in a situation where, as soon as you say, uh, let Britain maintain certain values and a certain uh cultural uh set of norms oh no that's not right you should tolerate all different kinds of uh, of cultural uh uh, norms and so forth when my parents migrated here as children in world war ii because they had to because they would have been exterminated if they stayed in the soviet union as it then was in estonia they did their best to uh, become part of society and to contribute to it Uh, lots of people i know around where i live as well they do that but the rest as you say (laughs) Um, recognize, and others have said this that it's a free lunch. What, Do you know what is it? The problem
0: That's... is, though Go on. F- forgive me for interrupting. You. the The problem is this: multiculturalism. Uh, just look at u- the United Kingdom. Never mind other cultures. Let Let me deal with the United Kingdom specifically. Multiculturalism, this glorious agenda from you know late sixties through the seventies, really propagated from the Blair Blair era of New Labour is a colossal failure of epic proportions. Multiculturalism only works when the host culture and other cultures come into it, step into the great melding pot of national cultural identity, become one with each other, and extract the best parts of everything to make a bigger and better culture. The problem that we now have is we have multiple cultures within the, the United Kingdom as a whole, and this happens in other countries around the world, but you have too many people coming from another culture with a refusal to become part of the hosting culture, refusal to get into that melding pot, and then attempting to force their culture on the rest of society that they're coming into. Now, mm. we call it multiculturalism in the 21st century. What What is happening here, if you rewind the clock back 160 years, we would call that colonialism. And what we have is under the guise of multiculturalism, an inverted form of colonialism, where a, a cultural identity and a cultural belonging is coming from another society and being forcefully imposed on another country, on another culture that already exists. Now, I don't deny the horrors of the past. I hope that we're all mature enough to have learned from those mistakes and to never repeat them. But under the guise of, in my opinion, under the guise of multiculturalism, multi-ethnicity, multi-faithism, whatever term you want to use for it, what we are seeing, to me, is the inversion of colonialism, but we can't call it that because that's a term that's not acceptable, and like you rightly pointed out, if I criticize it, then I'm racist or I'm Islamophobic, or, and I need to clarify something, Islam is not a race, it's a religion. And Islamophobia, this media term, doesn't exist. You can't have an irrational fear of a religion. See, if I was picking on somebody because of their color, their creed, their nationality, that's a different kettle of fish. But at the moment, a lot of the arguments here, particularly amongst our conservative and labor benches, is, well, we mustn't say anything about you know people coming from syria iran iraq all of these various countries northern africa because that's islamophobia islamophobia doesn't exist it doesn't exist because there's no christophobia there's no phobia, there's no Sikophobia, there's no tower phobia or any there's no irrational fear that we the media has described of any other faith and just because you are islamic does not mean that I am afraid of you. I might be afraid of you because you're you're fundamental in your beliefs. You believe in that seventh century Sharia law being imposed and all of these things. Mm. But that isn't my issue. My issue is the number of people coming from different countries. I don't I actually don't care what faith you are coming oh, to the, uh, the UK,
1: you're going to be on in a couple of weeks for for uh, some uh, another uh, well related to this, but a, a larger subject about looking forward to the general election and the fragmentation of the vote uh, on one side of the political spectrum. But just to finish off, we've only got one minute. Uh, if you had some advice to uh, other political parties, and do keep it brief, because I need to finish in about half a minute. What's your advice to other party politicians listening to you now? What do you, What do you want them to do now?
0: Stop talking. Take action. Sit down and be quiet if you're not going to do the job.
1: Thank you. That is Reverend Kaidua, good candidate for prime minister, in my view. Uh, what do you think of what he says? The the chat's going wild. Uh, I'll read this one. Uh, there's no. This is from Hemingway. There's no so-called housing crisis, merely a surplus of unwanted people. Buying a house is indeed very expensive. So is buying a yacht. We are not having a yacht crisis, though Holly says. I don't know, I'm always having a yacht crisis. Well, there we go. Do keep your calls and comments coming. Uh, Lots of talks about talk about destabilisation in the world, the dilution of our society and so forth. I'll read as many of them as I can uh, as day goes by. Now, there's a very interesting development in the north of Ireland uh, where there has been a kind of peace between two very long standing warring factions. I think this ties in naturally with what Reverend Kai Dewar says. Uh, In the end, the agreement there seems to be one of mutual toleration rather than attempting to exterminate the other. What are the lessons from that in the north of Ireland, perhaps in Europe and also in the Middle East? Coming up next, we have somebody who's been literally on the front line, a man I greatly respect, uh, Tim Scott. He'll be joining us talking about the world as we see it in the UK and abroad. All of that with me on The Lempidopic Show, right here on today's News Talk TNT. See you in a few minutes.